here's a little update for you. Okay. Um, remember a few weeks ago, we were discussing the fact that I was on a uh, text chain with some women <gasps> from Fort Worth. Okay, I was going to ask you because I've been missing them. I appreciate that. So for those who are out of the loop, such as it is, um, after the midnight series of texts featuring men we don't know getting their head and neck shaved. Yes. (laughs) To which I responded with the uh, etching of a very nonplussed Benjamin Franklin. Mm -hmm. Um. Later that night, I got a text that said uh, that just said Dave looks a lot like John Travolta. Yes, and Dave kind of does. Whoever Dave is, so Wednesday this week, I thought you know it's been like a month. I haven't heard from our friends. Yeah. So just sent them yet again the hang in there kitten because yes. everyone needs one of those. Yes. And that that was six uh, eleven p.m. <laughs> and then. Uh, what time was this? 6.44 p.m. Let me see if you, I don't know if you can see this. It is a dog drinking out of a coffee <laughs> Starbucks cup. cup? Out yep. of a Starbucks and tall, which no one in their right mind only orders a Starbucks tall. To which the person wrote, Truman got his first puppuccino today. Truman? No idea. So that is what Herring they or show? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I do not know which Truman we're talking about. Hmm. Um, or Capote. No, they're not Capote people. No. Yeah, no, not Capote. Um, I'm going to guess show, but they wish it was Truman. Yes. You know, where it's I, like I they think... kind of want to. Right. Is, is Truman the cool one to have or is show? That is the question. It is the question. Yeah. Depends what circles you're running in. And honestly, if you're if you're do you know, if you're going with show because you're a great lover of Jim Carrey. You probably aren't listening to our show. No, but (laughs) in these times I must mm, say that Jim Carrey's art has mm, been some of my favorite art over the past I see the uh any storm in a port theory of yeah. entertainment. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows? Who knows what? I'm so glad they're back. I wanted to tell you that our plan to bring the hang in their kitten back into popular culture yes. front and center is, is right. working. Wonderful. My, my friend, Karen and a uh, longtime listener, never caller. Right. Has, no, I, uh... <laughs> well, we first have to go back to the fact that you have other friends not named Rachel. Which just doesn't make any sense to me. But you were saying, Karen. I have one or two. Yes. Long-term listener. Yes. She changed her cover photo to be the hanging their kitten after listening to our show. Wonderful. All right. She did not change it to dolphins frolicking. She changed Mm -hmm. it to the hanging their kitten. Okay. Yeah. That's that's one down. That's a start. Right. It's a start. It's all it takes. How many people do you need to have it to be a movement? I feel One. like five, right? No. No? I One person it, doesn't, that's a movement? No, didn't you, don't you remember that age-old video of how to start a movement with the crazy guy dancing on the hill? No, I didn't watch Schoolhouse Rock. Was that <laughs> it what was, no, okay. I, it was, I don't even know if it really was that, like, long, but it looks like it's, like, the 70s. 
Right. And there's this guy at a festival and he's just dancing on this, the hill, like right. letting it go. And there's this whole narration about like this guy, you know, watch this guy. Look at, he looks crazy. But then all of a sudden somebody joins him. I guess it's two people because then two people makes it the movement. And then, right. then, yeah. then of course more people. And then everybody's dancing crazy. And then the people who aren't dancing crazy look like the weirdos. Right. And, then and the that's the whole thing. story. Right. Stop. No, the whole because... story of a movement. Okay. Well, because I, because the only thing I thought of was the uh, Arlo Guthrie Alice Re- Alice's restaurant. Ah, uh, yes. Where he says you should go and sing the refrain, and they wouldn't know what you're talking about. And then he says, like, it probably they'd probably think it was part of a movement, and pro- and not know what a movement even was. Right. But that's multiple people. If we strip it, it down to how many people do you need to have on the ground as part of your movement? Two, right? Yeah, two. So. Yeah, Karen does got it move kids from A or, to B? She's got three. Karen have kids or a dog that's on Facebook or something we can harangue into changing that. She's got three kids and a cat. Okay, all right. I don't want to know their names. Um, you offer them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't offering, so no. This is why with your hosts. Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. So in preparation for our interview with Bruce, I, of course, put on a Kiss record that he did not play on. Yes. Put on the first Kiss album, mm-hmm. which I don't think I have ever sat down and listened to from start to finish. Really? Yeah. Because I yeah. just never, it was not my thing. Okay. Um, and, and most of what I know of their oeuvre, if I mm-hmm. may, yes. it is from what is out there in the ether and True. you can't you can't ignore dr love you can't well, ignore why would you right you, you can't ignore love gun um again right you can't ignore <laughs> beth will not be ignored <laughs> beth will not be ignored so right, right exactly. in the song yeah <laughs> she just keeps calling exactly <laughs> so I, I i put on the first record and was like this this sounds like a really good record like it's got a great sound to it the music i'm like if you didn't no, these guys were dressed up in makeup and platform shoes. You would not, you'd be like, no, this can't be this band. Right. And then we came to a song on the record called Nothing to Lose. Mm-hmm. You familiar with it? I think so. Okay. Um, I remember being, catching it in college during the Kiss Unplugged. Yes. Where they brought back Peter and Ace and this was this great thing. And the whole thing, Bruce, yeah. our future guest, um, valiantly stepped aside i know and then i read a reference to this was one that they played a lot in the 70s ignored in the 80s and then came out in the 90s so the gist of the lyrics i think the problem is the website i was looking it up on has them wrong oh Um, so uh yeah, so this was a single, the B-side being Love Theme from Kiss, which well, is as good as, yeah. Um, from, as most love themes. Right. I did not realize what this song was about. And really, all I had to do was listen to the first four lines of the song, and I okay. should have gotten it. Do you know the, what the song is about? I don't think I do. So please enlighten me. Before I had a baby, I didn't care anyway. I thought about the back door. I didn't know what to say. 
But once I got a baby, I, I tried it every way. She didn't want to do it, but she did it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you really didn't no know idea. what it was about? No, no. Really? I'm not smart. Really. Truly, you are the smartest I, human being I, I know, and you really missed well, that. Well, good luck to you. Um, <laughs> I know that is more of a reflection on me than you. <laughs> yeah, really. I, yeah, no clue. Um, and there's a hmm. few of those songs where you kind of like, I look at, yeah, look well, back to them now and go, oh. Um, well, and not just and, Kiss songs, like lots of oh, songs. Yes, yes, um, definitely. But that one, I was just like, oh, I, I don't know how I missed this. They're not really Leonard Cohen when it comes to their subtlety and their euphemisms and all of that. Uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like maybe you checked out at baby. Like if you're talking about like you kind of discovered in college, you probably definitely checked out at baby. How did you get into synchronized swimming? Was it you were watching somebody dance and turned to a parent and said, I want to do that one day when I grow up, but I want to do it with like 18 other people and we have to be in water. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it's actually pretty simple how I got started. Um, My mom did it growing up and through college and then started coaching immediately out of college and um, is still a coach today, actually of the club team that I started swimming for. And it's actually the club team that she swam up. She grew up swimming for also. So um, yeah, for me, it was pretty simple. I was kind of born on the pool deck <laughs> into the sport right away. Um, and I did lots of other sports as well growing up. So it wasn't like I was born into the sport and they said, do this and that's it. Um, my parents were really, you know, really cared about what I wanted to do and, and things like that. So they listened to to what I wanted and let me ultimately at the end of the day, let me choose um, kind of what sport or activity I wanted to stick with and pursue. And, and um, I chose to keep going with synchronized swimming or artistic swimming as they call it today. Um, so why, why did you stick with it? Why was this the one that stood out? You know, it's, it's been like a, I've been thinking about it a lot more, especially like since I've been at home during this quarantine, there's just been so much extra time to kind of think about all those things that, Sometimes I, I, I never normally would, I guess, or I'd usually turn to the simple answer of, you know, I love the artistic side of the sport, or I love the teammates, or I love to travel, like all these different things that, that sometimes were the first thing that came to my head when I would get asked that question. But um, the more I've thought about it, you know, I think it was a lot of just intuition and, and following my heart. Um, I think growing up, I was... I would get really nervous even going to like novice practices and you know sometimes i would cry or at, a, at one of my very first competitions um which wasn't important at all you know it was like the summer play day it was called it was a little tiny competition friendly competition and i didn't do as well as i wanted to and i like started crying and had like freaked out and basically ended up like pulling out of the competition and got a participation ribbon so um you know things like that would make my parents feel like, you know, you don't, you don't have to be doing this. If, if this isn't what you want to do, like, we're not forcing you feel free. Like we can go do softball, we can do dance, we can do soccer, anything like that. Um, but every time I was like, no, I want to do this and no, I want to go back or no, I want to go to practice. So I think it was just kind of like deep down, I, I knew that, um, that, that I loved it. And I guess because I cared so much about it and how well I did, um, that's why I had those kind of reactions that I did growing up. And I guess the same question came to my head when I was 
faced with the tough decision to move across the country at age 16 to um, train full time with the national team. So kind of the same thing went through my head and like, do I want to do that? Do I want to stay here and finish out my normal high school years and things like that? And it was really just kind of like a gut decision. And, you know, deep down, I knew that I knew what my big goals were. And I knew the only way I would get there were by, by moving across the country. And, um, and yeah, and deep down that this is what, what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. So to get some of the really basic, stupid questions out of the way, I mean, to start, how deep is the water that you're in? Um, so it depends, you know, on the pool, we can't always get as deep of a pool as we'd like, but for our international competitions, there's actually, actually like a regulation. I'm not sure exactly how deep it has to be. I think it has to be at least nine feet or 10 feet. Um, but yeah, we're not allowed to touch the bottom or use the bottom at all. We actually get a penalty penalties if we even just, you know, slightly tap the bottom as we're swimming up. Um, so yeah, it's pretty deep. How do you practice? How do you train for this? I mean, like I, in my mind, I always thought of it as like a Busby Berkeley type swimming <laughs> thing. And there's people have uh, sparklers in their hair, but really I, thank you. Yes. That was the one <laughs> I was looking for. <laughs> but I mean, simply the act of treading water in a nine foot pool to me is incredibly impressive. And then trying to do the same thing. I know you do duos as well as do you do any bigger groups as well or is it just the duo yeah so um i actually train i train the duet and the team um in 2016 we only qualified a duet so i compete in the duet event but all the years i've always swam in a team event which consists of eight girls at a time and then i'm also doing the solo event which is just me by myself um but it's not an olympic event so only at world championships and world series events I know it's virtually impossible to get eight people doing completely synchronized in order movements on land. Like how, how does this happen in water? Um, definitely just a lot of time, a lot of repetition, a lot of one more times as we call them. Cause our coaches always say one more time and it ends up being like a thousand more times, <laughs> but yeah, we actually, we do a lot on land. So we'll rehearse kind of go over our routines that we swim in the water on land. So we have to um, all, you know, understand the rhythm of the music that we're swimming to. We put the music to counts. We put all the movements to counts so that um, as we're in the water, you know, we're not singing like da, 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 da. As we go, we're actually going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, the whole time. And so every little move has um, a count or an in-between count. So um, it's very precise in, in that sense of kind of, what the routine is made up of and what you have to do on this count versus this count. So, um, and then it's just a lot, a lot of practice. Um, and of course, you know, it was always called synchronized swimming. So being synchronized is one of the most important parts. So at training that is a, a big deal, you know, if one person is off by a one full count, like one count doesn't seem big to some people, but for us, like that's huge. You know, sometimes even just a half account off from your duet partner makes a huge difference. Is there a choreographer as, as well as a coach or does the coach act as the choreographer? So it can vary from team to team. Um, over the years, I've I've worked with choreographers. I've also not. So um, most recently, we kind of do it as a as a whole team. 
So not just the coaches, but also the athletes participate um, in the choreography process. So we'll put on music and, you know, sometimes the coach will have an idea, a general idea, and they'll say it. And then we kind of all do our own thing and they pick from little things from each person that they like and, and we kind of all collaborate together. So it's pretty cool, actually, because when you get to finally competing your routines, um, it feels like it's your routine and you guys created it together, you know, as a team. How long in the process are you on land before you put it in the water and see what it's like there? Um, so we do, I mean, for training in general, we do land training and water training, usually about like two hours on land and the other six in the water. <laughs> um, but depending on the time of season, you know, sometimes once our routines are already choreographed, um, we just do like what we call land drill, which is where we like do the review of our routine on land. Um, it's just a real quick, like one playthrough of the music of the routine and, and that's it. Um, but I guess in the beginning of the season, when we're choreographing, sometimes we'll come up with the arm strokes on land. So we'll pull things, we'll watch videos of like dances and um, different choreographies of, yeah, dance on, on land and try and learn them and then we move into the water to transform so there's not like a specific we don't actually choreograph the whole routine on land before going in the water how much say do you have in the music do you pick that or does that come where does that come from i guess it depends on on the year and on the coaches again but um we we all have a say in it um i mean i think sometimes our coaches will already have ideas so they'll bring bring some ideas in um, but if the whole team absolutely hated the, the music, they, you know, they wouldn't force us to swim it because you're never going to have a team swimming well if they're completely despise like the music and the theme. And the right. Theme. So, yeah. That was my, that's what my next question was. Was there ever a piece like that where you're like, nope, we are not doing this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Probably before or not even like that. Sometimes it's like you like it at first, but then again, you're practicing it. Eight right. plus hours a day every day for sometimes not even just one season but you do it for like two seasons um and it gets very repetitive very annoying and you're so over the song and i think all the other like lap swimmers and lifeguards and everyone else are over the song as well um <laughs> yeah i would imagine yeah especially when you play like the coach has you doing on working on one te 10 second section for the whole eight hour track <laughs> and so you don't hear the whole song you just get to hear the Da -da -da -da, da -da -da -da, the same part over and over and over again. It drives me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> is there a type of music that is better to swim to than others? We're kind of like in the transformation process of our sport and the sport in our country too. And we're really trying to change things. Um, I think in the past, the when you think about synchronized swimming, people think of classical music and um, you know, flower caps, like spinning circles, spinning out, water, <laughs> that kind of stuff, like you talked about at the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. so, and as we evolved our sport, you know, it, it got the athleticism, athleticism increased so much. And um, we were still keeping a lot of the classical music. Um, so now we're kind of shifting out of that and really trying to change that. Is that is that happening worldwide with the sport? Or is the US kind of one of the few countries saying like, you know what, we should put some hip hop in here. We need to put something that's got a beat to it. That's a little more recognizable to most of our audience. I think people are starting to get into it. I think um, 
we got new coaches this past year and who are very well known around the world. Um, they were swimmers and Olympians from their own countries and are now our, our coaches. So um, we're definitely trying to kind of step in and be the game changers for our sport. Um, we're not up there winning medals right now um, at world championships or the Olympics. Um, we're, we're in the finals. We're in the top, like top 12, top 10. Um, but so sometimes it's like, well, do we, do we really dare to try and change anything? Like no one's really paying attention to us. You know, we're not at the top. Um, what are we going to prove? But we kind of went in last year, like we have nothing to lose and um, you know, let's try and do more for the sport than just worrying about our, our personal, our physical growth and, and our growth in like our, in the rank and everything. What differences do you find within the, like the different countries and their approach? You mentioned you have coaches coming in that were, you know, phenomenal within their own countries. Is there, is the style the same or does it, is there a different sort of approach? It's definitely different everywhere you go. Um, especially in the U S compared to, um, some other European countries, I think, um, especially our head coaches was a Spanish Olympian, um, three-time Olympian has lots of medals. Um, our other coach is from Ukraine, um, also one of the top countries in our sport. And so, yeah, they definitely have different styles. Um, they grew up with much different in much different systems in general, you know, not just like their style with how they swim, which is also very different, but, um, you know, the way that their organization was structured and their training location and their schooling and, everything like that is like very different. So they're all trying to adapt to and kind of, um, yeah, adapt to the U.S. way and the U.S. style, I guess. So how much time a day are you spending practicing a routine? And do you have multiple routines you're learning? Or for you, is it, well, I've got the pair that I'm doing and then I've got the group thing and I've got to focus. Like how many hours a day do you spend in the pool just getting that muscle memory primed where you can just do this almost without thinking. Yeah. So it changes throughout the year um, with how much time we spend in the water compared to on land and how much we spend doing like general conditioning versus focus on the routines. Um, when we're super close to a meet, of course, it's mostly in the water and mostly focusing just on those routines that we're going to be competing. Um, and that can be anywhere from six to 10 hours, um, depending. Um, usually we'll have like one long practice with, you know, a break, a snack break in the morning and a break in the middle or something. Um, but lately we've been trying to, it kind of depends on <laughs> when we can get pool time and pool space, but we've also done like morning practices, a break in the middle, come back for evening practice, another one from five to nine or something like that. That's, those are kind of our hours. And depending on the time of season, it changes what we're doing within those within those hours. And uh, as far as routines go, um, so we have for each each event, there's a technical routine and a free routine. So it's kind of like, um, I think figure skating is similar. Like they have their technical program, which is their short program. Um, and it's same for us, there are required elements in it. And then the free program completely free to any choreography, anything like that. So in the team, we have tech team, free team, then duet, I have tech duet, free duet, um, and then for solo right now, I only have a free solo actually. So you're, you're able to swim only one for the Olympics. You have to have both because they're combined, 
but for like world series events and world championships, they're completely separate events. So I've had, yeah, I've had five routines the past this year and, and last year. Hmm. Okay. I have to ask this and I'm apologizing in advance, but I have to ask it. <laughs> Here we go. I, I love being in the pool, but obviously you've never put in the kind of hours you put in, in the pool. How do you keep your hair from not turning into a complete disaster? Oh, we are doing <laughs> so well, Heidi. I know. We I'm doing apologize. So well. I apologize. Like, <laughs> I've heard like put conditioner on before you go in. I've heard all kinds of stuff. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Actually, I get that a lot more than you may think. Um, so, you know, at first, I didn't really think about it too much or do too much with my hair or like focus on my skin or anything which, you know, we're outside in the sun and in the chlorine for a lot of hours a day. So it's something that I really should be focusing on. And I have started more recently. Um, but some people like to put conditioner in their hair before putting on their swim caps. They say it helps to not rip out their hair. For us, we really don't like to do that because um, our cap slides off the whole practice. Okay. Keep it on. So especially when we're, we're training close to a competition where you can't wear goggles in competition. So we have to practice without goggles where when you're swimming, the goggles kind of hold the cap in place. Right. But in our sport, when we go and then we don't have our goggles on our head, our cap just slides off. And, you know, if our cap slides off in those first five seconds of the routine, you can't stop. You can't brush the hair out of your face to help you breathe. You can't go put the cap back on. So you know, it's like the last thing we want to happen when going in right. into our swim. That and getting our nose clip kicked off. Um, probably like the two the two worst things that could happen at a practice. One that answers my question of do how do you not hold your nose when you go underwater? But there we go. Yeah, um, so everyone wears them. Um, one girl on our team doesn't. She learned how to like do this thing where she like fucks up her lips and it covers her her nostrils. What? Yeah, I can, I can do it. Like sometimes my nose gets really tired from putting my nose clip on and off for eight hours a day that, you know, I have to like go under sometimes without it. Um, and I'm able to kind of do the lip thing, but it's too much to focus on. Like during a routine, I don't want to have to be thinking about that. And I don't want to have to, I don't want to surface from underwater and like forget to put my lips down and then be making a funny face when I come. Right. Yeah. Which would be me. It's like too much. Where did she learn that? About Was this like an ancient Tibetan thing that was passed down or is this something she was just like hey you know what i found out in the bathtub i don't know i don't think she ever wore <laughs> one i think when she started no one introduced her to one and so she figured it out on her own wow. and then she never tried so i think that's the best way it's harder when you like grow up with it and then you try and learn how to swim without it which is like one of my goals by the end of my of my synchro career is to learn how to swim without it and be able to compete without it. That's like serious mermaid stuff at that point. Yeah, yeah my lord. <laughs> now you've you've competed internationally. You you were at the the last Olympic Games. You will be at the next Olympic Games. How different are the Olympics versus any of the other meets? Is it just another level? And I'm assuming going back a second time would help with the butterflies sort of like going to the world series or super bowl. Well, I know what this is like, so I can try to mentally prepare for what I'm about to walk into. How different is it from any other meet? The Olympic games is a whole new animal. I mean, you've been to, I've already, I'd already been to world championships and you know, that to me was like the, 
the biggest meet of all when I went there. It wasn't just um, our sport, but it was all the aquatic sports, so swimming, water polo, diving as well. So it was kind of like a mini Olympics in a way, like a very mini Olympics. Um, but to me, that was already like, whew, wow. And, and so I thought I, you know, I thought I had an idea of what to expect and everything. And then, and then you get there and it's just a totally different uh, everything, totally different everything. The vibe is just completely different. Like, I don't know, the energy and, you know, the pool that we competed in, in Rio, I had been to two or three times already. It wasn't a new stadium or anything like that. So I should have felt very like familiar and comfortable with it, but I remember the second we walked in, the first the first day that we walked in on the pool deck and just seeing all the banners around with the Olympic rings everywhere, like I felt like I'd never been there before. And so many emotions just like rushed over me right away. Um, and I was like trying to hold back tears because I was like, wait, you're not like sad, but you're really happy, but you should be excited. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing. What am I feeling? <laughs> and, and I guess that same feeling <laughs> was it or that feeling was the exact same before we competed for the first time the first day of competition I was like at first I was like really calm I'm like this is weird like this is the Olympic Games no yeah and then I remember before we were going I just felt so like so nervous but in in a weird way I didn't know if I wanted to cry pass out throw up like I didn't know what was going to happen but I was like something's going to happen um and yeah and then yeah, it's just a totally different animal. Um, I don't even know how to how to explain it really more than that. But um, yeah, it's just it's like a, a totally different world. And, and you're in there living in the athlete village and you walk like a mile to get to the bus stop and you take this fancy bus and you go to the stadium and you get this fancy entrance with security and all this stuff. And, and then you go back. And so you're living in this like separate world for however many weeks that you're there. And, and you just get so like, I don't know, involved, involved in it. And then you go out of it afterwards and you're just like, what, what is, what is this? <laughs> it's like culture shock. <laughs> it's yeah, it's totally crazy. And sometimes like I did realize it in the moment, but I think I realize it more now outside, like what it was like. And, and yeah, definitely going for this, for my second one, um, we're hoping, hoping to be a little bit more. I guess comfortable like knowing what's what to expect in a way but but also not like I I enjoy that feeling of of kind of not knowing what's what's coming and and yeah what do you think the most the biggest misconception about your sport is hmm um I'd have to say just kind of what we talked about earlier, that it's that it's an easy, you know, water ballet, um, which if I were to say water ballet, I would understand that that's very hard because I respect um, ballet dancers so much. And yeah. that sport is incredibly hard and very underrated. Um, so, but when p other people refer to like water ballet, they think like, you know, laying on circles in your back with flower caps, all that stuff. Right, <laughs> frolicking. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's the biggest one. Um, I think people have seen that, that it's evolved a bit. Like people know that it's not exactly that, um, but they still don't know how much it's evolved and, and how much it actually takes. And um, I guess the training that goes into it, it's not just, you know, showing up to the pool for one hour a day. It's, it's really a full-time job and more, um, you know, we put our school on hold or we 
go to, I finished my high school years online and it was, you know, after training. So in the evening, just a few hours, I'd have to go and teach myself and finish my high school. So, um, you know, there's a lot more, a lot more sacrifices and a lot more training that goes into it than people think. And, um, you know, it's not just when we're at the pool too, then we go home and, you know, we have to be thinking about our recovery, about our nutrition, um, about, you know, we have to watch the videos from practice that day and make corrections at home before we go the next day and make sure we stretch at night so that we don't wake up like stiff and we can't walk because we're so sore. So it's, it's kind of this never, never ending. Yeah. Process of every day. It's, it's, it is really your life, um, for this time while you're training. So, um, I think people really don't realize that and how much it actually takes and what goes into it. Well, and every Olympic sport seems to have some, I, this miss may seem pretty obvious, but there is some sort of physical exertion that is required. <laughs> and with any sort of physical exertion, there is the chance for injury. What kind of injuries do swimmers in your sport see? Because a, a skier falls down, you go, oh, that looks like that hurt. Right. A volleyballer, you know, like you see people get injured, you go, Oh, I see how they get. How in synchronized swim do you get injured? Is it just not stretching? Is it the muscles? Um, I think for our sport, it's mostly you see like overuse injuries. So, um, you know, we're in the water, so it's not like high impact, like running or something like that. Um, but yeah, mostly overuse. So, all the sculling that we do when our legs are up and our arms are working underwater, so we get lots of shoulder injuries, you tend to see shoulder injuries from all the, the sculling and from the crazy arm movements, you know, we're moving super fast and having to do super flexible things. Um, we have to be super flexible, I guess, in general, but we also have to be really strong. So if you don't have that good balance and, you know, you're maybe really flexible in your back, but you don't have the core strength to support it, then you'll see some injuries come in. Um, and with the egg beater, our treading water, I guess, our hips and knees. So mostly like Hips, knees, shoulders, I guess, are like the main ones for a sport. And then we've also seen a little bit more of concussions happening over the years just because of um, all the acrobatics that have been added into the sport um, in the team routines. There are tons of lifts and things like that. So people come down and land on each other. Or also we have to swim super close in pattern. You know, we can't take up the whole pool. We have to be like really close to each other. And so a lot of times you know, people get kicked easily. And if someone's underwater, but the other person's above, then someone is treading water and kicks their head or just kind of little accident, things like that. Um, but yeah. And no one's wearing any protective gear. No. Right. So <laughs> if you're getting hit in the head, you are going to get hit in the head. Right. Yeah. So with the Olympics coming up in a little over a year, have you started training? When do you start working on the routine and really putting that all together. So come July, 2021, you are ready to go. Yeah. So because we were expecting it all to be this year, um, right. we had two no choreographies done already for the Olympics, um, our free duet and then our new tech team program, which we still have to qualify the team routine um, for the Olympics also, which is going to be a big fight just to, just to get the team there. Um, so Mm -hmm. we've been continuing our trainings on zoom actually every day, Monday through Saturday, we're on there for four or five hours. Um, of course, no pools and 
that's an Olympic feat. Let's be honest. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. We're not, we're not in pools, but you know, we're trying to keep, keep as much as we can um, through this time. And then actually this week is our, our last week. So it's our 11th week of quarantine training. Um, and our last one, and then we're going to have a two week break, summer vacation, whatever you want to call it before we start like our new season. Um, so that's kind of when we're going to get back and try and get back our physical conditioning, our physical shape, and then back to work on our choreographies and our routines. Um, not sure what we're going to do now that we have so much extra time, you know, we may or may not adjust some of our choreographies. Um, but yeah, our qualifier is now two months earlier than planned. So it's actually the first week of March instead of the first week of May. So that's mm. kind of like the thing on our mind right now is the qualifier, which will be like the Olympic test event in Tokyo or what it's supposed to be in 2021. So. Right. So you don't think you're going to change your song? Uh, or because if I could just put in one vote for She Drives Me Crazy by the Fine Young Cannibals. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, just just write it down. I'll write it down. I'll give it to our coaches. I'll send, I'll send it in. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm no just trying thing. to help. I'm trying to help for my country. I'm trying to help for my. You do your part. Take all suggestions. For more information on Team USA's artistic swimming group, go to teamusa.org/usa-artistic-swimming. And to keep up with what Anita is up to, you can follow her on Twitter, where she is at Anita Alvarez 12. Be sure to follow Why the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And check out our YouTube channel for some additional great Why content. If you're so inclined, please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hedquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. Our intern is Randy Jeanette. The theme song was performed by the Electrosynthno Magnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. <laughs>